good news in my life is that we had a ball game canceled Friday, and I got to go spend the week Friday and Saturday with my kids. The bad news is I had an unfortunate bout with Chinese food Friday night that is still lingering in the Sunday morning. So, um, if you like look up the end of service and I've disappeared, I'll be back sooner or later. Um, stuff just happens sometimes, doesn't it? We are, this is the last week of this series we've been in on life on mission. And, and life on mission is like living life with purpose and on purpose. It's, it's understanding that you've been created for a greater purpose than just to show up and do stuff. Just to show up at work, just to show up at church, just to show up at ball. I mean, we've been created for a greater purpose. And embracing that greater purpose is what we've been talking about. You know, it's Mark Twain who said the two most important days of your life, the day you're born and the day you find out why. This series is about finding out why you were born and what it is that God has called you to do. And here's the thing, the why we were born is the same for everybody. We were called to glorify God with our lives. The what you were born to do is different for everybody. While God calls us all to the same purpose, He doesn't call us to fulfill the same purpose in the same way way. And so understanding that kind of helps us move forward. And so what I want to do today is kind of give you a recap of where we've been before we kind of move on to where we were going. So for the first few weeks of this series, we talked about this idea that living life on mission means we have to go out from where we are, right? So we have to get up and go and do, go and be somewhere, right? Connecting with people wherever they are, serving people, Uh, sharing what God is doing in your life with whomever God places in your path. And the truth is, the truth is, if you're a Christian, God's doing some great things in your life. Whether you recognize them or not, it's a whole different conversation. But man, God does great stuff in our lives every single day. And sometimes it's big and obvious. And sometimes it's not. Just because it's not doesn't mean God's not doing something amazing in your life. And so we've got this idea of getting up and going out, connecting, serving, sharing. It's about going out from where we are. But then last week, if you were here, we talked about living a life on mission means to strive to become more like Christ, which means we are to grow mature in Him. So we've been called to go, and we were called to grow. And we looked at the Great Commission, where we understand that we've been called to make disciples. In order to make a disciple, you have to be a disciple. And a disciple is simply someone who's trying to become more like Jesus. That's what a disciple is. You don't become a disciple by showing up for stuff. Now, showing up for stuff is great and good and okay. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it can help you to become more like Christ. But the truth is, living a life on mission, growing in Christ, is about every day becoming more like Jesus. And when you become more like Jesus, you look more like Him, and you start to look less like you. And if we're really honest about that, we understand that becoming more like Jesus is this process where every day we get a little closer but we also understand every day we have a long way to go. And it's not about, it's about the journey and the process because here's where it ends. The journey ends when you take your last breath and you meet Jesus. Until then, we've been called on this mission to grow and become like Christ, right? And so today we're going to close this series with actually the thing that kind of ties this one in a knot and leads us into what we're going to start talking about next week, all right? And that is that living a life on mission is about embracing a life of prayer embracing the life of prayer now we talk about prayer a lot around here all the time and uh, we're going to talk about prayer a lot today but we're going to look at prayer kind of in a different way through a different lens today 
Tim Harlow in his book Life on Mission talks about the urgency of prayer and he says this, the most basic human need is God. And that's the truth. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how you feel about God. The most basic human need is God. People may resist Him, which they do. People may be in denial about Him, which they are. But it doesn't change the fact that people, all people, need God. And if you really want to know what's wrong with our world, that's what's wrong with our world. We're looking for our answers in all these people and places and, and, and things and circumstances. The truth is, the answer to every problem is God. And so when you understand that every problem is a spiritual problem, when you kind of embrace that idea, you understand if every problem is a spiritual problem, then what I need most of all in my life is God. However that looks like and whatever happens along the way. So we're going to look at this idea of prayer and this, this need of connecting with God, but we're going to look at it through the lens of living a life on mission, living a life with purpose and on purpose. So the question is, how do I live a life on mission and embrace a life of prayer? How do those two roads meet together? You know, where, where does that happen? What does that look like? And so I want to kind of tell you something you can do that can change your life and something that you can do that can maybe change someone else's life. And it all starts with a question. So let me remind you of something we talked about a few weeks back. So a few weeks back, we talked about this guy named Philip who met this eunuch on the road, uh, to, to, uh, on the Gaza Road, and, and God sent him there through an angel, right? Didn't tell him what he was going to do. And Philip introduces a guy to Jesus that's going to take the, the mission of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus back to the continent of Africa. But Philip didn't know that. That eunuch didn't know that, but God knew that from 30,000 feet, right? God knew what was at stake. But all, and, and, it, and all that happened because Philip just asked a simple question. I'm telling you, there is a question you can ask that can change how you see life and can change someone else's life. So I want you to consider this. Maybe the next time you're at a restaurant and your server comes up, maybe you're at work and, and you're talking to a coworker. Maybe you're just talking with a friend you're catching up with uh, for a while. Uh, whatever the case may be, you can ask this question anywhere and to anybody. And it's really simple. Is there anything you would like for me to pray about for you? Simple question. That simple question can change your life. It can change your prayer life. That simple question has the potential to change the course of someone else's life. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, not all people are, are Christians, but people are spiritual. We talked about that a lot today in our world, that we live in a culture that's very spiritually centered. But if, you, if, I, if someone tried to explain to you what spiritual means, they can't tell you because it's really vague. But I can explain to you what being a Christian means, right? I mean, I can, I can lay out a picture for this is what a Christian means. This is why I'm a Christian. Why are you spiritual? I'm just searching for something. Well, Christianity is not about searching for something. It's about finding someone, and it's different. This question can open all sorts of doors, and this is why you should ask this question. Because Jesus said, you would be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Everywhere. Restaurant, vacation, work, store, ball field. Wherever you go, 
you have a chance to make a difference in someone's life. And that's what this series is all about. That's what this whole year is all about, making a difference in someone's life. And one of the ways you can make a difference is ask the question, is there anything going on in your life that I can pray for you about? Now, it's a brilliant, harmless question. And, and let me kind of walk you through this. The first time you ask the question, which is kind of, you may go, man, this is kind of weird, but you know, hey, you know, I, now, now let, me, let me go back. If you go to a restaurant and your waitress or waiter comes, this should not be the first question you ask. All right, this, this should not be the first question in your life, which means you've got to have a conversation with them when they come up and you kind of just, you know, get them talking about their life. And so, um, but imagine asking that question, hey, you know what, I appreciate everything you're doing. Is there something going on in your life I can pray for you about? Here's what I know. That question doesn't threaten anybody, right? I mean, it doesn't threaten anybody. Um, it's pretty harmless because if the person says, no, thank you, you go, okay, and you're done. But what if they say yes? What if they say, you know, i got a test coming up, or uh, my marriage is in trouble, or my kids are out of control, or I, I'm, I'm facing a really big decision whether I should stay here or go somewhere else? What if they need you to pray for them? What if they don't need, know they need someone to pray for them? That question can change the course of someone's life. It's an open invitation. And if they say no, you just go, okay. But I want you to understand what it is this question communicates, okay? And then we're going to kind of shift gears in just a second. So I want you to understand what, when you ask this question, here's what you're communicating to someone, the person at the restaurant, the person you work with, person in your neighborhood, the person at the ball field, whoever the case may be, wherever they are, here's what you communicate. Three truths. It shows that you care about that person because why would you pray for someone you don't care about, right? It demonstrates that you believe in a God that cares about them, and that's really important. But it also tells them that they're not alone, that they are in this with somebody. And that's the great thing about, you know, when we come to church on Sundays or on Wednesdays, we look around and we realize we're not doing this by ourselves. Some, we are with some somebodies. There's some people going through life and maybe going through some of the stuff we are, maybe going through something we have been through before. That simple question says, I care about you, God cares about you, and you are not in this alone. It's why every week, it's why every single week, the end of our service on Sunday, we have people who right through these doors who will wait for you. And if you've got something going on in your life that you need prayer for, they're there for you. Because we want you to know we care about you. We want you to know we serve a God who cares about you. And we want you to know that whatever you're going through, you are not alone. That's why we offer a chance for, for you to pray with people. That's why you should pray with people. Think about this. Think about the people in your life you ask to pray about stuff. Think about that for a second. The people in your life you ask to pray about stuff. Who are they? They're people that you know care about you, that believe in the God you care about, and people who are going to walk through life with you. Those are the people that you ask to pray about stuff. I mean, just think about that. It makes perfect sense. And so that's the easy part. This is the easy part. Now we're going to talk about the hard part, the hard part of prayer. The easiest thing you can do, the easiest thing you can do is ask somebody, hey, can I pray? Is there something going on in your life that I can pray for you about? Anybody. Easiest thing you'll ever do. Easiest question you'll ever ask anybody. Here's the hard part. So imagine you go to a restaurant and you ask your server, and hey, can I pray for you something? And they say, hey, yeah, would you pray about 
this. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Okay, I'm going to do that. And so imagine you go back in a month, you have the same server, and they come to your table and they start talking. They said, hey, um, did you pray about that? Well, yeah, I sure did. Well, nothing's different. Nothing's better. In fact, things are kind of worse than they were. What do you say? And what do you do? We serve a God who can do anything. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But we serve a God who doesn't do everything we ask all the time. We serve a God who says yes. We serve a God who says no. We serve a God who says wait. And sometimes you have to wait for yes, and sometimes you have to wait for no. And the reason he says yes, no, and wait is because he cares about us. So the real question is not can, if we're honest, can he? Okay, but we'll address that in a second. The real question is, okay, so when I opened my Bible, Moses prayed and he's, God split the Red Sea. He devastated Egypt with these plagues. He spoke and created everything. I mean, you think about this. Everything you see, God made by talking. Everything you see, God made by talking. He didn't make cars. Well, he made people who make cars. So... I'd rather feel like God made the car I'm driving than somebody in Detroit made the car I'm driving. I feel better about my life when I think that, right? So here's the thing. Here's the question I think we struggle with sometimes. And here's the question, if we're honest, sometimes we go, why should I bother praying? Because here's the question we ask sometimes. Will God answer my prayer the way I think he should? That's the real question. That's, that's the tough part. Will God do what I actually want him to do and the answer is sometimes he does and the answer is sometimes he doesn't so in sense so when you find yourself in a position where someone says to you hey look i know you've been praying for me but nothing's better no, nothing's better so can you explain that the simple answer is i really can't but the truth is we serve a God who we think can do anything, and that's the key. But a lot of times we don't pray because we're not sure God will do what we want. A lot of times we pray because we don't think God's going to do what we want God to do. And that's the problem. Why bother praying? I know what God's going to say. He's going to say no. He always says no. He always says no, so why should I do that? So imagine the person in the restaurant who gets a little jaded because five people have asked him that and says, you know what? So-and-so asked me, you know, I had some people come through a month ago and ask me that, and nothing's better, so no, I don't need you praying for me. Man, that's tough. But I think the real question, I think the real question about prayer and embracing a life on mission, a life on purpose, with purpose, I think this is the real question we need to ask ourselves. Do I, do I believe that God can do what I'm asking what God to do? Do I believe He can? Not do I hope he can, but do I believe that God can do what I'm asking him to do? And I know you're going, that sounds like a silly question, but I'm going to tell you this. There are a lot of people who pray for stuff every day, and they're surprised when God does it. They're surprised. Have you ever been shocked by the way God answers your prayer? 
If you have, here's the question. If God can do anything, why should we be shocked by what God does? I mean, that's the real question. If God can do anything, if I believe God can do anything, why should I be shocked when God does whatever he does? Why should that amaze me? There are so many people in life praying and praying and praying because they think they're supposed to pray, but they actually don't think God can do what they ask. There were even people like that in the Bible. We're going to look at that this morning. So we're going to kind of dive into Acts chapter 12 here for just a few minutes. In Acts chapter 12, there's this really interesting thing going on in Jerusalem. The the Jerusalem church has kind of grown into this monster, and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are part of the church, and they're meeting all over the city. And Herod decides, eh, it's time to shake things up. And so Herod decides, that he's going to take one of these disciples, leading this, this revolution, and he's going to kill him. And he takes James, and he has his head cut off. Now, what's true in that culture is true in our culture today. And I talked about this the other night, and my policeman friends all verify this. And my state, I was talking with a state patrolman friend of mine not too long ago about this. You know what people in our culture really, really are fascinated with? Car wrecks. Car wrecks. You know how I know? Because everyone slows down with the cameras out because they want to get pictures of what's going on. Maybe you don't take pictures, and, and but I'll bet you there are people here, when there's a wreck, you're a little fascinated by what happened. There are some people who like to see mangled cars. My friend was telling me that He's doing an interview, and there's somebody coming along, and there's fatalities on the road. And and in the middle of this interview, he's recording, and he's screaming at them, Stop recording! People are fascinated with a car wreck. In this culture, you know what people are fascinated with? Persecution. They were with a good old-fashioned death. And so Herod kills James, and the people say, Yes, that's awesome! Herod says, Let's give the people what they want. Let's find somebody else. Who do we have? So Peter's arrested. And Peter is put in prison. So that's where we're going to pick the story up, right? So, then he, Herod, verse 4 of chapter 12, imprisoned him, Peter, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. So let me explain that last part of that really quick. Peter was going to have a trial where his guilt had already been determined, and then they're going to cut his head off. That's the plan. That, because that's what the people want. Give the people what they want, right? And so Peter is chained between two soldiers, being guarded by a rotating force, center of the prison. Oh, oh yeah, they took all his clothes off. So he's absolutely naked. Between two big dudes, going to die the next day. Now, verse 6, which we're not going to read, is really interesting, because verse 6 tells us that Peter, knowing he's going to die, Knowing he's chained between these guys with no clothes on is sleeping like a baby. With not a care in the world. I mean, just imagine that for a second. This dude is sleeping without a care in the world, knowing that when he wakes up in the morning, they plan to cut his head off. But Peter knew that people were praying for him. The church is praying for him, right? And they're praying for Peter's release from prison. And they're praying for the church. They're praying for God to do something great. They're praying for God to do something amazing. And here's the cool thing God does. 
God does something amazing. So an angel comes into the prison and wakes Peter up, right? And goes, uh, all right, hey, and the chains fall off, let's go. Peter goes up to walk out, and the angel says, oh, dude, put some clothes on. Can't go out naked. So he puts his clothes on, he walks out, and they walk out through all these guards. They walk out through the iron gates of the prison. They get to the middle of the street. Peter thinks he's having the greatest dream ever until he's not. Until all of a sudden he realizes he's in the middle of the street, the angel's gone, and he's been rescued. People prayed, God did. So you would think that when this happened, the church would go, we knew God could do this. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do, right? When God, when we pray about something and God does it, we shouldn't go, wow. We should know. Well, I knew he would do that. But that's not what they did in Acts 12. And it's not what we do a lot. So, verse 13. So he goes to the church, the local house church. He knocked at the door and the, at the gate. A servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed that she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. So, dude just busted out of prison, fugitive from Rome. Hey, it's me, let me in. And instead of letting the fugitive in, she runs back and tells everyone that Peter's alive. Right? Meanwhile, Peter's going, hey, um, hey, y'all gonna let me in? So what should happen when she says, Peter's outside, I heard his voice, they should say, praise God, look what God did. We prayed about it and God did it. But that's not what they did. This is what they did. Verse 15, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. Peter's in prison. Peter's going to die. Now we're praying for Peter in here, and we want God to do something big, but Peter's in prison. He, he, he's in prison. He can't be at the gate. When she insisted they decided, they said, well, it must be an angel. Meanwhile, hello, Peter's knocking the door. Fugitive from Rome, you let me in? Um, if you don't let me in, they might get me. If they get me, they're probably going to kill me tonight. Let me in. When they finally opened the door and saw him, these three words are tragic to me. They were amazed. And here's my question. Why were they amazed? Why were they amazed? They were amazed that Peter was at the door. They were amazed that God did something big. They were amazed. They prayed and prayed and prayed for God to save Peter. God saved Peter, and they're amazed that he did it. How often have we prayed about something and prayed about something and prayed about something, and when God does it, we're shocked that he did it? Instead of just going, Man, it's a pretty big God I serve. I tell them, I, I, I've been talking to my kids a lot this a lot this week, and, I, and the thing I've been saying to them over and over again is, don't waste a prayer. If you pray it, you better believe God will do it. And if you don't, you're wasting words. You better believe God can if He chooses to. So two weeks ago Wednesday... This is kind of, some of you know this story, this is kind of how our life shaped. I'm, I'm in my office, I'm getting ready for Wednesday, and I get a call from Crystal, who got a call from Haley, our daughter-in-law, who got a message saying that they were going to be, have to leave their house, they'd only been there for about two months, because the, the owner decided to sell the house. 
which in the state of Georgia, as long as you give 60 days notice, is absolutely legal. So, they're in a panic. Now, i got to be honest with you. I was, I'm not going to say I was panicked, but, you know, you mess with my kids, that's one thing. You mess with that little girl, that gets my dander up a little bit, right? And so, Alec calls that afternoon, he's way home from work, and he's stressed out. I'm like, you can't fix this today, you just need to stop and pray. You stop and pray. I need to fix this. No, you let God fix this. You need to stop and pray. And finally, I said, do you believe God can do anything? I do. I said, then pray like you believe it. And don't waste your prayer. A week later, um, now let me go back in another part of the story. Another part of the story is my daughter, who's living the dream on her own, is about to face, maybe facing the same reality. She just doesn't know it for sure. But the guy who owns the place she rents is a friend of ours, and he doesn't want to stick her out in the cold. So they've been talking. And so Kevin has been praying for God to, to make, you know, open doors. Alec, Haley, Brittany have been praying. Crystal and Jay, Lamar and Barbie, that's Kayla's parents. A lot of folks have been praying Mama, oh, about this. I called all my realtor buddies, and I said, they said, what do you need? I said, you find my kids a house? I don't care. Just find them a place to live. Tell them they need to, I've already done all that. They're going to pray about it over the weekend. My son, after I'm, he's stressing out, my son on last Friday says to me, after I'm going, just take a breath, pray about this, take a breath, pray about this. Dad, I think we've decided we're going to take a breath and we're going to pray about this for the weekend and we're going to hit this ground on Monday. I'm thinking, wow, whoever told you that must be smart. But anyway, but that's what he did and he thought he figured it out on his own and that's great, right? Less than a week later, because a friend reached out, uh, because through some friends, they have a better place to live in that all my kids, including my daughter, are moving into. And they're all, it's all going to cost them less money. And it's better than where any of them live now. When I prayed for God to take care of my kids, I didn't hope God would do it. I knew he could. And I knew he would. And I almost caught myself going, wow, week, that's pretty good. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty good. But I remember when, when I found out they found a place, I was sitting there going, shouldn't be shocked by this. God can do anything. Sometimes it happens fast, and sometimes it takes time. So if you're going to pray about for, for God to do something in your life, don't waste your prayer. If you're going to praise big stuff, if you're going to pray for God to move, you better believe that God can do what you're praying about. You have to believe God can do it. You have to do that. Now, God can do it regardless. And, and here's the other thing. You've got to be okay if he doesn't. Right? So consider this. Living a life on mission means trusting that God can do anything you pray about. That's, that's the easy part. Here's the hard part. But trusting him when his answer does not meet your expectations. Because sometimes God says no. And sometimes God says wait. It's not that he can't. It's just not best for us. And we don't see that until usually much further down the road. It's one thing to, to believe that God can do anything. But we've got to be okay with what God does. And that's what living a life on mission is all about. So when you ask that person, hey, is there something you want me to pray about? You better believe God can do whatever. 
When someone calls you and says, will you pray about this for me? You better believe God can do whatever because they believe that. That's why they're asking you to do it. And when God doesn't do what we expect, we've got to find a way to be okay with God because however He answers us is in our best interest or we've got to wait a little while. Because living a life on mission is about God's people finding God's heart for the world. Prayer is how we discover God's heart for the world. Lord, we are um, so often in life, we, we get all squared away. We get all messed up because we pray and we pray and we pray. And sometimes we don't really believe what we're praying. We just pray because we know we're supposed to. Maybe sometimes we don't believe you can because we prayed and you've said no. And we forget about all the times you said yes. We forget about all the times that your no led to a better yes. We forget all the times that the waiting for yes ended up being better than it would have been had we got what we wanted when we asked for it. We forget all those things. And sometimes because of wait and sometimes because of no, we, we begin to think that maybe you just can't do everything. Lord, I pray that we will pray as if you are greater than anything we will ever pray about. And trust you with however you answer that prayer. That's what embracing a life on mission is all about, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.